All right, guys, so as you know, we've been going over the book of Philemon. We're ending it today. It's a one-chapter book. Before that, I want to answer some questions that came up for Sunday school and the youth Sunday school. Some of you ask, how do you know someone is a true Christian and if we should preach the gospel to them? All right? So when you ask the question, if you die today, what do you think would happen to your soul? Or... If your little brother, little sister came to you and asked you, hey, how do I, what do I got to do to go to heaven, what will your answer be? And if their answer is anything like, well, I'm a good person, I've done good things, my good outweighs the bad, definitely preach the gospel. If they say, well, I accepted Jesus in my heart, I, mean, I said a prayer and that's how I know I'm a Christian, definitely preach the gospel. If they say, well, Christ did it all. He saved me. I'm a sinner. He's not. He paid the price. There's nothing that I could ever do to save myself, and I praise him that he saved me. Then I don't think you should preach the gospel. You should have another conversation. Like, oh, that's great. Me too. All right? The other question that came, how bad of a sin does someone have to commit to be an unbeliever? This is a good question. So I'm going to answer it. Two ways. Number one, first and foremost, we're not called to judge other people's salvation. You can't go around saying, oh, I think he's saved or I think she's saved or not saved. That's not up to you or up to me. Well, we are called this to what? To preach the gospel. When Paul tells the Corinthian church to check yourself to see if you are in the faith, it's yourself. You check yourself to see if you're in the faith, not let me think if my friend is in the faith or not. Now, when it comes to the sin, the issue is not the sin that is being committed. The issue is if that sin characterizes that person, and that person has no sign of repentance for a period of time. Any believer here, guys, any of us have the potential of committing atrocious sins, but if you are a true believer, it will follow with repentance. Look at King David. He murdered. He committed adultery. He lied. Yet we see his repentance. Just read Psalm 51. And every king after David is always compared to him. And he was according to David to God's own heart. Or he was not according. He did not live like David so David is definitely a believer, and he definitely committed atrocious sins, but it did not characterize him. So one thing is practicing sin, one thing is sinning. Know that difference. So can a believer commit an atrocious sin? Yes, you can. Does that mean that Jesus will forgive you? Sure. But depending on the sin, you're going to pay the consequences. Here on earth, you will. Like, and we're going to get into that. Any questions on those two or any other evangelism question that you guys ask have that I can answer? If not, talk to your small group leader. They'll let me know about it, and then I can address it publicly. All right, so I wanted to start today's lesson with two things. Number one, I want you to really meditate and seek deep in your heart, and that you can pray as I was praying, that God will reveal to you and bring to mind if you have to ask forgiveness of somebody or if you need to forgive somebody. Think about these. Think about forgiveness as we learn God's word tonight. 
Because this is how we end Philemon, a manual of forgiveness, with forgiveness. Either forgiving others or seeking others to forgive you. Amen? And as an intro, I wanted to talk a little bit about the historical background on slavery during the Roman times. Why do I want to give you this background? Because when you are asked, how can you believe in the Bible? It's totally for slavery. I want you to be prepared to how to answer that question, okay? So while you read about slavery in the Bible, know that it's not the same type of slavery that we learn about in our history books when it comes to American slavery during colonial times. It's not the same, okay? It was cruel, both, yes, but here American slavery was based on race and ethnicity, a lot of it, the majority of it. Okay? Well, in the Roman times, it wasn't. Obviously, American slavery was cruel, inhumane, involuntary. In Rome, although at times was cruel, inhumane, and involuntary, it was more accepted in society and had more pros than cons compared to the American slave system. 40% of the Roman population during this time were slaves. How did one become a slave during the Roman Empire? Well, you were often a prisoner of war. You couldn't pay off your debt, so you sold yourself to your master to pay off a debt. And some were so poor, they couldn't have the necessities of eating and clothing themselves that they would just sell themselves as slaves because it was better off for them to be a slave and have guaranteed food and shelter and clothing than freedom, and there's no food, clothing, or shelter to be found. Slavery was an accepted part of life. Slaves could be doctors, musicians, teachers, librarians, accountants. Now, they were not legally considered persons. They were tools their masters used. They could be bought. They could be sold. They could be inherited. They could be seized to pay the master's debt. The masters had the right to punish them, and sometimes they did severely. But by the New Testament time, masters tended to treat their slaves differently. Actually, they treated them better because they saw that happy slaves were more productive than mistreated slaves. Some masters even taught their slaves their trade, whether they were a blacksmith, a carpenter, whatever they did, they taught them. Some of them became good friends as well. As time goes by, slaves get more rights. In 20 AD, the Roman Senate gave rights to slaves when it, came to, when it comes to uh, trial for a crime. They were allowed to have a trial. This, the Bible does not attack slavery directly, but it undermines the evil of slavery by changing the hearts of slaves and the masters. You see, by stressing spiritual equality of masters and slaves, the Bible did away with slavery's abuse. Colossians 4.1, masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. With this context explained, let's look at today's passage. We will continue learning about forgiveness specifically we will look at the main motivator that should 
take or bring us to forgiveness in the following verses that we're going to read. So open your Bibles to Philemon. Like, like Brandon said, it's one of the hardest books to find in the New Testament because it's only one page. Philemon verse 18. The word of God says, and remember, when, I, when, when we talk about reverence, we, will, we are going to read God's word, okay? So let's be reverent to what we're about to do. But if he has wronged you, this is uh, Paul talking to Philemon about Onesimus, which is a slave. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this, own, this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you too owe me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Philemon. Paul writes this epistle in prison, along with Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. We know that Philemon was a prominent member of the church in Colossae. Philemon was saved under Paul's ministry. Paul evangelized Philemon. Philemon comes to Christ because Paul evangelizes him, not because Paul converts him. The Holy Spirit does that. He was a wealthy man who had a big house, and in his house he had church. And we know that he had church, and he also did what? He also at least had one slave. Somebody needs to use the restroom. Okay. We know that Onesimus, the slave, was not a believer. At the time, he ran away from Philemon's house. He stole money, and he was a slave that ran away. So Philemon is a slave owner. Onesimus is a slave who ran away. And like many runaway slaves, guess where they went? They went to Rome. Why? Because that's where they could disguise themselves and hopefully fit in the 800,000 people that were living in Rome. And in God's providence, guess what? 800,000 people living in Rome, guess who he meets? He meets Paul. And like Philemon, Paul evangelizes Onesimus, and Onesimus comes to Christ when Paul evangelizes him. As much as, lo as, much as Paul loved Onesimus, as a believer and servant of the church, he knew that Onesimus did what? He broke Roman law, he defrauded his master, and knew that yes, forgiveness in Christ will be granted. Let's not, let's not run, let's not run. And yes, forgiveness in Christ is granted, but guess what? Guess what he had to, guess what's still gonna happen? He's still gonna have to pay for what he did. And what did he do? He stole money from Philemon and he ran away. He's a Christian though. He came to Christ, yes? But now what? Just because you come to Christ doesn't mean that previous actions that you've done, that you have done, are not gonna be paid for. The consequences are not gonna be paid for. So what does Paul do? Eyes on me, guys. It's reverence, remember, reverence to the Lord. What does Paul do? He sends him back to Philemon. 
He sends him back to Philemon, not alone, because a lot of slave catchers were out there at the outskirts of Rome. So he sends him with Tychicus, who is taking Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. So Tychicus goes with Onesimus to Colossae. Tychicus has the letter of Colossians to the Colossian church, and Onesimus has the letter of Philemon. And this is the letter that we've been studying for the past two Sundays, two Wednesdays. We know that the main theme found throughout this letter is forgiveness. To forgive those who have sinned against us and to seek forgiveness when you sin against others. We remember that Matt explained to us in verses 1 through 7 the character of one who forgives. Somebody who forgives will usually be characterized in this way. And then last Wednesday, Brandon went over the actions of the one who forgives in verses 8 through 18. Today, we will finalize the letter and we will be going over the motives, the motives of one who forgives. Today's outline, three sections that end Paul's letter to Philemon. Three sections that end Paul's letter to Philemon. The first section, we're going to look at Paul's commitment in verses 18 through 20. The theme, main idea that I want you to have in your minds as we read and study God's word is this. Love for God in obeying his commandments motivates Christians to forgive. Love for God in obeying his commandments motivates Christians to forgive. Basically, what motivates you to forgive? The love that you have for God. And how is that love expressed? In obedience. And what does he call you to do in that obedience? To forgive. That's what we're going to discuss today. So let's begin with Paul's commitment to Philemon as he concludes his letter. Paul's commitment, verses 18 to 20. Verse 18 says, But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. This is Paul talking to Philemon. But if he has wronged you in any way, the Greek for wrong means to treat unjustly. If he has treated you unjustly in any way, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. What ways does this treatment or this treating unjustly look like? Well, Philemon could have stolen money from, uh, sorry, Onesimus could have stolen money from Philemon. He could have lost wages that Philemon had to work and he wasn't there so he was losing money because the work that was needed to be produced was not being produced. What about the interest? Maybe he had this money going to a bank and he was collecting interest on this money and he couldn't have it anymore because the money was stolen. What if other slaves ran away? What if Onesimus, I don't know, uh, inspired others to do the same? Paul is saying, if he has treated you unjustly in any way or owes you anything, what could Philemon, sorry, what could Onesimus potentially owe Philemon? Well, it could have been referring to maybe how I told you in the past, earlier today, where if you owe a lot of money to somebody and you really can't pay it, you would sell yourself into slavery. Maybe that is the amount that Paul is, is, is telling Philemon about. But regardless, Paul is telling Philemon, if he has treated you unjustly in any way, or he owes you anything, charge it to my account. 
See, Paul was self-conscious of those who were abusing the church of the time and asking for money. And he didn't want that. He didn't want that image of Christ for his church. Look at what 2 Thessalonians 3 to 7, 3, chapter 3, 7 through 10 says. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor, this is Paul speaking, and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. Not because we don't have the right to this. He's saying, we have the right to live off the church, but in your case, we didn't do it. Why? But in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. What was the order? This is Brandon's favorite verse of the Bible. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Wait, that's not Brandon. Brandon's like, those that don't work are worse than an unbeliever. Sorry. Now, notice what Paul is saying to Philemon. He's saying, if he treated you unjustly or he owes you anything, charge it to my account. He's saying that. He's not saying, hey, go ahead and free Onesimus. Go ahead and do me that favor. Do me that solid. He could have. He was the apostle Paul. He had the authority to do so. He didn't want to abuse it. And you see his heart of not going beyond his authority, of not going beyond what is written. He asks and lets him know, I will pay for any mistreatment, unjust mistreatment, or money that he owes you. Paul continues expanding on his commitment to Philemon. In verse 19, he says, I, Paul, I'm writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe me to me, you owe to me even your own self as well. Paul wants it to make it clear that he is writing this letter. What does that mean? Many commentators mention that Paul usually hired scribes to write his letters. He would dictate, the scribe would write it. So when Paul says, I am writing with my own hand, many commentators believe that Paul literally wrote the entire letter of Philemon himself. Why? To let Philemon know, hey, what I'm saying is true. I am writing this letter. If I say I'm going to pay you, I will pay you. Please trust that. See, for Paul and all of us, it should be important to want to shine light on Christ always, to be a good Christian always, to give God a good name always, to not give somebody the idea or thought of, wait, is that how Christians can live? He doesn't want to do that. Romans 12, verses 17 through 18. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And look at what verse 18 says. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Be at peace with all men. For Paul, the testimony of being a Christian, a kingdom citizen, meant way more than any personal preference or gain. As much as Paul loved Onesimus and wanted Onesimus to stay with him and to minister to him in whatever ministry Paul had in, in Rome in prison, it was more important in Paul's mind and his conscience to let Philemon know, yes, I have Onesimus. Yes, he wronged you. 
And the right thing to do is to send them back to you because that is obeying the law and the right thing to do. Just pause real quick, pastoral moment, pastoral pause. Can we say that about our lives? Can we say that our goal in life is to shine our light the best way we can, to represent God and his kingdom the best way that we can, to be the salt and light of the world that so desperately needs it? Is that our motivation every morning when we wake up and go wherever we go, school, work, co-ops, the neighborhood, Walmart, shopping, wherever you go, is your motivation, let me shine the light of Christ to a world that desperately needs it. Let me give Christianity the best name I can. Not perfect because we're not, but the best name we can. See, Paul did not want Philemon to think for a second that he was excusing what Onesimus did or ignore the laws that existed. He wanted to make sure that he would repay him. And even though Paul didn't commit any crime, because he didn't, he was willing to pay the fines for his what? For his repented brother. Again, it shows you Paul's pastoral heart of love for the brethren. He shows that he's not going to use or abuse his authority, and he also shows you the love that he's willing to pay Philemon wages caused by or anything caused by Onesimus. If somebody has to drink water over there, go ahead and drink water, whoever's making that noise. He then says something to drive this point home, okay? What does he say? He says, not to mention to you that you owe me, you owe to me even your own self as well. What does that mean? He, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. See, he's telling Philemon, yeah, Philemon, I'm willing to pay all that Onesimus has caused you. And I could tell you that you owe me more than what Onesimus owes you because if I would never have evangelized you, you would not be saved, and that means more than anything, but I'm not. He's saying the salvation that I preach to you is more valuable than all the money that Onesimus could ever owe you. He's telling him indirectly, if Christ forgave us much, who are we not to forgive much? Think for a second. Think about how much has the Lord forgiven you and me? No sin committed against you is worse than all the sins that we've committed to God put together. It doesn't mean that there won't be any consequences to those who have sinned against us, but it does mean that for God, a white lie and a murder, they both take you away from the glory of God. James 2.10, for if you keep the whole law, you stumble at one point, you have, made, you have been made guilty of all. Paul continues with the whole you owe me because I evangelized you idea. He says, yes, brother, let me benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul is saying, let me see your maturity in Christ and forgive this slave just like Christ has forgiven you. 
The phrase refreshes my heart in Christ means to cause to rest, to cause someone to take a break from their activities in order to be refreshed. He's saying, let me prophets once from me preaching the gospel to you. Let me hear the news in prison that you forgave Onesimus. You know what? That'll make my day to know that you're walking in maturity and in the Lord. He expresses his idea of his children and the Lord walking in a manner worthy of the gospel, refreshing his heart in other places like Philippians 2.2. It says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Also, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9, Paul says, For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. The way they were having faith and believing. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what things can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account. He's happy. He's being refreshed that all these churches that he's been planning, that the people are growing in maturity in Christ. And how do you know you're growing in maturity in Christ? You are an obedient Christian. Obedient to what? Obedient to his commandments. And what is one of those commandments? To forgive. To forgive. So why was Paul so adamant in wanting Philemon to forgive Onesimus? Well, just as he was aware and knowledgeable in God's law because Paul knew God's law, he also was versed in Roman law as he was a Roman citizen, and he also knew the type of punishment that awaited Onesimus, a runaway slave. What were punishments for slaves during, runaway slaves during this time? Well, you have physical punishment, flogging, whipping, branding. You know what branding is? They would get metal letters, the metal F letter, and they would put it on the forehead for fugitive, for life. So everywhere you went, you were branded as an ex-slave or slave, but you were a fugitive because you had escaped. Another punishment was private prisons for slaves, where they were kept in chains, and they worked in chains, and the conditions were harsh, and they had little ventilation, they had minimal light, and obviously this was psychological for what? To break the slave so he would never dare to do so again, to escape again. Sometimes when they came back, they were placed in more strenuous roles, demeaning roles. Some were sold as gladiators. Have you ever seen that movie? Watch it with your parents. Also, amputation to prevent future escapes. Paul knew what might had, what might had happened, what could have happened to Onesimus, but his job was not to worry about that. His job was to worry about honoring God first. And to be in good conscience with the Lord, he sent him back 1,300 miles to walk with his letter. See, Paul knew that this could happen to him. But for Paul, it was more important to be in good standing with the Lord and his conscience than to keep Onesimus. And and no one would find out. He's 1,300 miles away. Who cares? Yes, God cares. And God sees And that, for Paul, was important. Paul now moves to the motivation of why Philemon is going to forgive Onesimus in verse 21. The motivation. 
Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. Paul knew the type of Christian that Philemon was, and he knew that he loved God. And by loving God, he would do what? Obey his commandments. If you love me, you obey my commandments. And what is the major, one of the major commandments that we have to obey? To love our neighbors more than ourselves. And what better way to demonstrate to love your neighbor more than yourself than through forgiveness? When Paul says, I am confident, I have confidence in your obedience, in the Greek it means I am persuaded, convinced, and believe that he will forgive Onesimus. He is not only confident in Philemon's obedience, but knows that Philemon will not only forgive Onesimus, but go above and beyond what Paul is asking of him because he loves the Lord. What might this be? Well, he might treat him better knowing now that he's a believer. He, won't, he might not go through all these punishments that I just mentioned to you. He might give him a better job than the other slaves as a brother in Christ. He will serve with joy next to him in the church because slaves and masters went together to church like bosses and employees would go together to the church and they would serve together. Or he might even forgive Onesimus completely, free him, and maybe send him back to Rome to serve Paul and, to, and for the gospel. We don't know any of this, if it happened or not. But regardless, Paul knew that Philemon would forgive him and would go above and beyond than just forgiveness. We move now towards the ending of Paul's letter to Philemon. Paul's farewell, verse 22. At the same time also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. See, Paul is hoping that he's going to be delivered from jail. And he's hoping he's going to see Philemon one day. And he's not only telling Philemon, pray for me that I can see you, but also prepare that lodging. While you're forgiving and while you're going above and beyond, prepare, prepare me a place in your house because I, I want to go and I want to spend time with you. Some of the commentators, maybe three or four of them wrote this, so I'm just going to say it. They were saying that he was saying, Paul was saying this to Philemon to make sure that Philemon would go through with his promise and see Onesimus in the, in the house free. I just think that Philemon, he was hospitable anyways. No one just has church in their house. He did. This is the kind of brother that Philemon was for the church. Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. Paul mentions some faithful brothers who are with him as he endures his trial of jail that also greet Philemon. Epaphras, he was a fellow brother who ministered in the church of Colossae, Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Then we have Mark who at one point had a disagreement with Paul, and then they became reconciled, and now he's a fellow worker. Acts 15, 38 to 39, the disagreement. But Paul kept insisting that he, would not, he should not take him along, this is Mark, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. 
And there occurred a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And we see in 2 Timothy 4.11, one of the last letters that Paul wrote, only Luke is with me, pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Some commentators wrote that by Philemon knowing some of the stories of Paul's followers, that he would say, wow, if Paul forgave Mark for deserting them, who am I not to forgive Onesimus? Then we have Demas, was a close fellow worker at that time, but he later deserted Paul. In 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica, Crescens, and has gone to Galatia, Titus, to Dalmatia. Luke, obviously he's with Paul the entire time, the majority of the time, because Luke writes Acts. If you didn't know, now you know. Verse 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the last verse of the letter to Philemon. This is the way, is the usual way that Paul would end his letters. Reminding those reading of the grace that the Lord offers to his people. All right, so let's recap for a second. Onesimus escapes, travels 1,300 miles to Rome, which itself is a dangerous journey. How he made it, a miracle itself. He probably stole a lot of money to live off all those, what, month journey to get there without getting caught. They don't have papers that we, they, they, to, like, where you're stopped. And well, apparently some of the slaves had, like, metal collars, and those were easy to catch and spot that they were slaves. But he made it. And guess what? When he gets to Rome, between 800,000 to a million people living in Rome, what are the chances that if all those people living there, he meets Paul? And guess what? Paul, being Paul, he evangelizes Onesimus. And Onesimus becomes a Christian. Just look at the conversation between Paul and Onesimus. So, uh, where, are you, where are you from, my friend? Onesimus, well, I'm, I'm a runaway slave from Colossae. Really? Colossae, what's your master's name? Uh, Philemon. Really? Did he so happen to have a sister named Aphia? Well, yes, he did. Did he happen to have a church in his house? Yeah, yeah, we used to stack up chairs before and after service at 7 a.m., Oh, that's great. I know Philemon. He's a good friend of mine. In fact, he's a fellow beloved worker and brother in Christ. And Philemon, and Onesimus is like 1,300 miles. And of all the people that I meet, I meet Paul, who knows Philemon. What are those chances? What goes through Onesimus' mind? Oh, here you go. He's going to send me back. Oh, hopefully he can sympathize with my cause. Do you think it was hard for Onesimus to go back to Philemon? Of course. Of course it was hard. He knew the punishments that he might receive. Do you think he was wishing that Paul would use his apostolic authority to make Philemon forgive him? Of course. But at the end of the day, I know that Onesimus, he was a true believer in Christ, and the Holy Spirit would convict him of his sin, and he himself knew that the right thing to do was to go back. And to seek for forgiveness. And I, and, I, and I assure you that, I can't assure you, but I'm pretty sure that 
Even if Paul didn't think that Philemon was a true believer or not, Onesimus, because he was a believer, he would have gone on his own as well. And all this in God's providence, for us to have this letter, this perfect letter of forgiveness. And even though Onesimus doesn't say anything in this letter, and as much as this letter talks about Philemon directly, it also tells us about Onesimus indirectly. It tells us that Onesimus did come to true saving faith because the Holy Spirit had convicted him of his wrongdoings and was willing to accept his fate for what he had done. He was willing to travel the 1,300 miles back from where he came from. How do you know when you've truly repented from a sin? Well, think about it this way. When your parents give you or ground you for something that you've done, do you get angry and say, oh, that's not fair? It wasn't that bad? Well, there you go. You're not truly repentant. That's a worldly sorrow. You're just sorry that you got caught. But if after your parents ground you, you're humble and say, you're pretty, yeah, you're right. I deserve this because I've offended you. I've offended God. That's godly sorrow. So how do we conclude? Ooh, I got to fly through this. Okay. The third point for what? Paul's farewell. How do we conclude this letter? Do you worry about making sure God and Christianity have a good name? Do you worry about being a good citizen of the kingdom? Do you worry about that? Do you, do, do, when you sin in public, do you feel that, wow, Lord, I'm sorry that I gave you a bad name right now for saying a bad word in front of my friends or for fighting when I wasn't supposed to or for disrespecting my parents when I wasn't supposed to or by talking bad about my parents in front of my friends? If you're a true believer in Christ, once you do those things, you immediately feel this guilt inside that you've offended God and you've given him a bad name. Worry about that. Pray. And if you struggle for fear of man, meaning like you, you care more what people think instead of what God thinks, pray. You have the Holy Spirit within you. Pray. Read his word. Meditate on his word. He will give you the courage to stand bold and be the salt light that you need to be. Second point of application, forgive others. Forgive others. I want to talk about a little bit about forgiveness to make sure everyone's on the same page and to clarify a couple of things. There's the day-to-day sins that are committed against you, the day-to-day sins that sometimes love can cover, interactions between brothers and sisters, fights between brothers and sisters, selfishness, pride, that, that sin that's committed against you is a, one category, you could say. And then there's another deeper category of sins committed against you, right? We're talking about abuse, bullying, right? Two spectrums that both require forgiveness, but there's different type of reconciliation. So let's, dis, let's, let's define those two, okay? Forgiveness is what? Is releasing the wrongdoer from what he owes you and opening the door 
for trust to be rebuilt. It always hurts. It always costs something dear. We must fully release to God the justice owed to us. But forgiveness doesn't mean instant reconciliation, right? So the first part is forgiveness. You've been wronged. You forgive. You release that person to God's judgment and not your own. But it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, instant reconciliation, right? In the sense of abuse or, or bullying situation. What is reconciliation? It's constructed by a changed pattern of living from the wrongdoer that they're changing and that allows for rebuilt, for trust to be rebuilt from the victim. Sometimes reconciliation is not possible because the person that committed that sin still commits a sin or still wants to commit the sin and still doesn't want to stop. Therefore, Boundaries are necessary and important. Sometimes you have to cut relationships because of situations, and that's okay. As long as in your heart you know that you've forgiven because God forgave you, you forgave. But it doesn't mean that a bully is bullying you and all of a sudden you forgive and you wanna, you, you're going to be best friends the next day and they continue to bully you again and again. That's not what it's saying. Maybe boundaries need to be placed and relations need to be ended for a while while the other person comes to the sense that, yeah, I've been sinning against you in a, in a wrong way. Also, we must not acknowledge that forgiveness doesn't eliminate the legitimacy, in some cases, the necessity of pursuing legal justice against a perpetrator. This is, this is like if you've been abused physically, sexually, this is something that you report to the cops. Even though you can forgive, you still need to report to the authorities, okay? Make, I, I wanna make that clear here. And we're not saying, oh, Alejandro said to forgive everyone and I was abused and I, I'll just forgive him and I'll, don't tell anybody. No, that's not what we're saying here. Remember, we're categorizing these heavy sins, right? Reconciliation. One thing is fighting with your sister over the remote control. But one thing is an abuse, a bullying situation. What happens when you say, well, they hurt me so deeply, they don't deserve forgiveness? Well, you're right. None of us, including ourselves, deserve forgiveness. The wages of sin is death. There is no sin that doesn't deserve eternal damnation. The answer isn't to deny, excuse, or minimize the sin committed against us. It's to discover the deep will of God's forgiveness for us. This is the whole point of Christ's parable about the forgiving, unforgiving servant. Remember that in Matthew 18? One slave owed $7 billion to the king in today's money. And one slave owed $10,000 to the one who owed $7 billion. The king forgave the one who owed $7 billion. And then the one who owed $7 billion strangled this guy who owed $10,000 and sent him to jail. The story goes, well, if God, if the king forgave you 7 billion, who are you not to forgive 10,000? If the king forgave us, who is, who we, we can never pay our debt of our sin before the Lord, who are we not to forgive others? We don't forgive because sins committed against us are manageable or diminished, but because we're experienced, we've experienced the extravagant mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. To forgive is ultimately to release control of the offender 
into the hands of a just and merciful judge for perfect vindication and perhaps retribution. Romans 12, 19 through 20 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Last, seek out forgiveness. If you know you've sinned against a brother, go and seek forgiveness. This is your duty as a Christian. Go ahead and walk 1,300 miles if you need to, like Onesimus did. Or you can call an Uber. I pray that as we finalize this book, that you're convicted. That the Holy Spirit has used his word to convict all of us. To seek deep in our hearts who we have to forgive and who we have to ask for forgiveness. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful letter that you've given us. In your providence, what an amazing story. Thank you because you are working in our lives as we have read this. Father, I pray that we can forgive those that have come against us and have sinned against us in many ways. Father, help us forgive them. Help us understand that because you have forgiven us, And because much has been forgiven for us, who are we not to forgive others? Let us trust in your wrath, in your divine judgment, and let us know that the revenge is yours, not ours. And Father, if we've offended someone, bring it to our minds so we can go and ask for forgiveness and be reconciled to our brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. Father, we love you and we worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.